I encourage you to turn with me in your Old Testament to that book of Exodus. You could probably guess that, that we're going to be in Exodus again this morning, reading from chapter 30. The Lord is giving instructions to His chosen people in the tabernacle, what His campsite is supposed to look like among them as they're camped at the base of Mount Sinai there. He's giving these instructions to Moses, His prophet, who will then speak this word uh, to His people. And we've looked at the tent and the furnishings in the tent. Now we're outside the tent looking at, uh, we've looked at the altar of God. And there is one more piece of furniture within this courtyard um, uh, of the tabernacle itself. And that is uh, this altar or this uh, bronze basin. My prayer is as we look at all of the details and the instruction of the tabernacle, that we will see Jesus with greater clarity that we would see how each of these descriptions and the pieces of furniture, how they're all foreshadowing, they're all pointing ahead to the reality of Christ in our midst, the very character of God, the one to whom we worship, the one who alone makes that possible. Uh, that, that's our goal, and I trust we've seen that. We'll see it again this morning as we look at this basin. And next week, Michael Kidd is going to be here and open the word uh, with you all. Michael was here back in April, I think it was. Uh, from Conway, and, and uh, because we're still you know, moving kind of from, from the inside out, uh, I've encouraged him to look at chapter 27, the actual courtyard itself, and what went into that. So um, he'll be here next week to do that. But this morning, chapter 30, beginning at verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze, with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, And you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet, when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister. To burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. There shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring, throughout their generations." And then just one verse from chapter 38. This is 38, verse 8. Speaking of Basileel, the craftsman chosen by God, says, He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. So this is God's holy and inspired word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We know and trust you to work that word within us now. Lord, we cannot seek to understand, we can't know apart from the illumination of your Spirit in us. And so we ask that you would guide us now, Lord, that you speak faithfully through your servant, that you would block out those things that are untrue or unhelpful and use that which will build us up as your people, that will grow us in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, I have a little red dot here on my wrist, and I first noticed it about a week and a half ago when scratching took me to my wrist. And uh, thankfully, I got a little bit of sun yesterday, and so the dot is just about gone. But I suspected as soon as I itched there and I saw that one little red dot that it was poison ivy. That's what I suspected. Uh, So what do you think I did? As soon as I, I... Suspect that that was the case. And some of you who have had poison ivy before um, probably have done this. That's something you want to tackle pretty quick. 
Uh, so I washed. I washed that site thoroughly and I scrubbed it with a good soap in order to keep that, that stuff from spreading. You know how fast poison ivy can spread when you start scratching and touching other parts of your body. Uh, really important that you wash that particular uh, area. Uh, and as I was considering that, I just mentioned that because it really pictures another washing that we all need, whether you've had poison ivy or not. Because we all need to wash, because we've all been infected. We've all been exposed to this poison that is our sin. In fact, we're born with this disease of sin. And it's something that, that grows and spreads as we grow. And as we scratch the itch of our own misplaced or twisted desires. We scratch the itch for acceptance or approval or satisfaction. It spreads. So we need to be washed. We need to be cleansed from our sin before a holy and righteous God who has made us not to live in sin, but to live as His faithful image bearers. To live in obedience, the freedom of righteousness to Him. And so the priests would use this bronze basin to wash their, their hands and their feet. They're, they're doing this not just to prevent the spread of germs and, and toxins, as important as that is, but to actually be saved from death. This basin, the basin filled with water, it served a very practical purpose, but it's also a picture of what must happen spiritually. For any who are going to come into the Lord's presence and worship Him. This is what must happen to be saved from death. The death that our sin brings. And so the passage in front of us, it emphasizes more the purpose of the wash basin than the actual uh, design. So we're going to apply this picture, this washing to our life in Christ, to all those who would come to Christ and walk in this uh, newness of life. So we find there is an initial cleansing, an initial washing, as well as a continual washing of the priests here in the Old Testament and the priesthood of God in the New Testament. Grateful to Dan Hyde for some of his thoughts on the tabernacle, this initial and continual washing of the people. So the basin stood between the altar, the sacrifices were being made, and the tent itself. And we're not given any dimensions. Isn't that interesting? Probably used to reading about it's going to be so wide and such and such tall. Um, we're not given any of the dimensions of this basin, which means we're just not told, and they were given to the craftsmen or Maybe there was an assumption of what this would um, look like and freedom in, in design here. But we are told what this basin is made of. Uh, in 38 verse 8 specifically, um, we're told where the bronze came from uh, to make this basin. We know that all the bronze for the tabernacle, uh, over 5,000 pounds of it, was brought by the people uh, from uh, their treasures. Uh, but in this case, it came from a special treasure. Uh, the bronze for this basin and the stand came from the mirrors of a certain group of women who were um, serving there at the tabernacle. But you, you read that and they go, well, you know, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But it's a detail that helps us understand the quality of this piece, really. Bronze is the most common uh, metal of this time. But bronze used in making a mirror had to be of a, of a higher quality, a more pure bronze, we could say. So this basin and its stand are being used 
regularly, being used regularly a little closer to that tent of meeting, the very presence of God among His people, it's made of a higher quality of bronze. And the women that we read of here, we don't really know who they are. We don't know exactly how they were serving or how they were chosen uh, to serve uh, in this way. We can infer some things based on what we know, the culture of the time and responsibilities uh, among the families. Um, gathering water was often a responsibility for women in their families. Um, this basin would have had to have been filled often. Um, washing of utensils and priestly garments. This may have been done by the priests, but likely had some help with this. because It had to be done a lot. Uh, the women may have helped at the entrance, going into the courtyard. Other female worshipers were coming to sacrifice. Women may have help with that. So it shouldn't surprise us um, that there were women helping serve alongside the priests, which I think is an important application for us before we even talk about the washings. Uh, men and women serving alongside each other in the church. Both men and women necessary for faithful worship. Different responsibilities, different roles, but all very important in the life of, of God's people. So we need to affirm this. We need to encourage this. Uh, in the church, that we be about our responsibilities and the, uh, the unique gifts that God has given. This is, this is a topic in the church, it's kind of like a revolving door, it just sort of keeps coming back around. Um, you know, what, how should women be serving in the church? Uh, what, what can they do when it comes to worship and so forth? And generally, women in the church should be serving in all the same ways that non-ordained men are serving in the church. And we gather together you know, in, in a place like this where we have men and women, families uh, coming together. Um, you know, that, that time is going to be led by our men. We see the offices of elder and deacon, deacon <laughs> entrusted to uh, men. The authority that goes with that. Men have been given this this role, this authority as, as selfless servant leaders in their home. And so that, that's just expanded to the home, the family of God. And so we may have other men and women participating in our worship, which we do often. That'll be under the authority and direction of the elders in the church. But serving together, encouraging one another, helping each other identify ways to do that. Um, that should be happening and building up of the body of Christ. So back to the bronze basin. Uh, need to be refilled often. All you know, washing, uh, because of all the washing that took place there, uh, this happened on a daily basis. The priests are handling utensils. They're handling the sacrifices. Um, they are likely barefoot serving in the tabernacle because of the frequent washing that needed to take place. And I think, you know, this, this makes sense. We don't, we don't like dirt. We recognize when we're dirty most of the time. Um, we, we recognize when, when certain things or, or people are, when there's more dirt than what, is, what normally belongs there, and so we have a desire to wash, to clean. Or we're either told to wash, right? You're not coming in my house like that. Or wash up before you come to the table. Probably heard that, said that. Um, and so unless we don't have the access or the ability to wash, we want to clean up. So the Lord uses what is really common sense about dirtiness to show that coming before Him requires 
a cleansing. His holiness demands a purity. The Lord requires pure priests to touch, offer the sacrifices. And the priests were washed initially at their consecration, being set apart for this work. We're not quite there yet, but in chapter 29, we'll read of of the priests being washed before they put on their special garments. That was all part of their purification. So washing their hands and feet, as as we've read here, shows that their whole person was purified. So head to toe, fingers to toe uh, before the Lord. Leviticus 6 tells us that the garments themselves were washed, that the utensils were washed. Nothing dirtied by sin could come into the presence of a holy God. I mean, Leviticus may be the book that uh, makes that point. So I want us to see a, a real change in status here. A real purification before the Lord. But physical washing cannot cleanse the priest from his sin. It has never done this. It never will. The Lord demands and accepts this washing, but it shows the need for purity. need for cleansing from sin that only God can provide. Not an optional thing here. This, this threat of death would have really impressed that upon the priests and impressed that upon all the worshipers in Israel. Now, this was absolutely necessary for them uh, to serve. So now we get a few chapters earlier in Exodus 19. The Lord says to His people, and maybe remember this, there would be to Him a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So there, there's priests appointed among them, but they were to be a priestly people. They're leading, they're interceding on behalf of all peoples in the worship of the one true God. So it really fits then when Peter says of the church, he actually says it twice in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I am looking at and I am speaking to a priestly people. At this very moment, a chosen people who have received mercy so that we can show mercy, that we can offer sacrifices of praise. We've been practicing that this morning. We offer our very lives as a sacrifice of service to the Lord. So as we consider then our position as the priestly people of God, I trust we hear the necessity, you may appropriate urgency of this purification, Applying the picture of this purity, God still uses water. He still uses water to show the need for purity and the cleansing from sin. The waters of baptism are now that picture. That visible sign that God provides to show the washing away of sin by the blood of Jesus. So the washing, that itself removes dirt, not sin. But it's that visible sign, the seal of what God Himself is doing on the inside, in the heart. We've heard this morning, there's a couple of passages that have come to mind that fit so well with this. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Think of the Apostle Paul when he's recounting his own conversion. This is in Acts 22. He shares what Ananias had, had told him. He said, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. 
So if you have repented of your, your sin and believed in the finished work of Christ and the guilt of your sin has been washed away, you can have every assurance this morning that you are purified through the shed blood of Jesus. The use of, of water for washing, showing the washing away of sin. That's not a New Testament idea. Not a New Testament invention. In fact, if we're really going to understand how the waters of the New Testament is to be applied, we need to understand the system of Levitical washings in the Old Testament. Kind of as that, as that background. We see the beginnings of it here with the washing uh, at this basin. The priests, along with the people under the supervision of the priests, they're required to go through these, these ritual washings, sacrifices, in order to be changed from an unclean status to a clean status. This is all over the book of Leviticus. Numbers 19 is another excellent example. And so once they were, were clean, had the status of, of clean, then they could once again come and worship and be among the people in those relationships uh, where they could worship that could only foster an inward moral cleanness. Isn't that interesting? The Israelites did not say, you know, I'm sorry for where I've been or what I've touched. I feel that my heart is ready before the Lord, now I'm going to go take a bath and show it. They didn't do that. The washing came first. The physical ceremony was to mediate spiritual benefits. So the person who was washed would embrace from the heart and would grow into what that washing represents. So if you're taking notes on this, outward change of status to clean was to encourage an inward change of status, a moral cleanness. We don't see this most of the time. God sees this. We we don't see, we don't know the heart, but God sees the difference between the outward and the inward washing. In fact, He warns the people, Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 30, against practicing this outward ceremony, this outward circumcision that doesn't lead to a circumcision of the heart. There's nothing inside that, that follows this. So there's a need for washing, for baptism, the cleansing of the heart that it signifies for believers and their children. I wish I could spend more time on this. Um, but parallels between the circumcision and baptism. How that's replaced circumcision as the sign under the new covenant, a sign given to believers and to their household, the children of believers. But I will say this, if this has changed under the new covenant, then we would certainly expect to read about it. I mean, that's just a huge change. If God's grace is somehow constrained, somehow limit, there's now limitations on how the sign is applied and who's identified in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you really rethink the new covenant. But thankfully, what we do find is this, this language and practice that solidifies the continuity between the old and the new. That God's grace is not limited, it abounds. Now this sign is given not just to the little sons of Abraham, but to the little sons and daughters of Abraham. Look at Romans 4, Galatians 3 for more on that. So we need to be cautious. I think it's easy for us in our time to place more, more Western individualistic assumptions on 
the sign of the covenant that God's given to his people. I mean, can you think of any more, more powerful picture of God's sovereignty and grace unto salvation than for him to place his sign upon those who are the weakest, most vulnerable, incapable among us? He says to our children in this washing, you are mine, you belong to my people, you belong to me. Now grow into this. Listen, listen for my name. That your heart would follow this sign. That you would know that you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. We teach our children from the youngest days that they are children of the King. That you're children of the Heavenly Father. And He's given us a sign that shows them that and shows the rest of the world who it is they belong to. We dare not withhold this grace from our children. Okay, we need to move from this initial washing to the continual washing that was necessary. My neighbor has a hefty power washer. Um, and uh, I asked him if I could borrow this beast the other day and blast the green stuff that was growing on the back of our shed there, as well as the bricks going into our entryway. And it, it took a little bit you know, in one spot, but it, it was incredible how this, this thing uh, blasted away this, uh, this dirt and grime um, and then I, I made the mistake of actually making a swath on the, on the driveway, and I went, whoa, that's cool. And so five hours later, I was done blasting the driveway. Um, but you, you can probably guess what's starting to happen again, and this was a little while ago. Um, those black spots, the streaks that start you know, with the water runoff, they're, they're coming back. Uh, I'm going to have to take the shucks, I'm going to have to take the power washer again. And blast those things. Um, eventually, I'll, I'll be back out there. Um, the mold comes back. Our bodies get dirty. We start getting sweaty. Ten seconds outside in Arkansas. Um, the priests had to continue washing in this basin. Um, they're washed initially, so their their baptism, so to speak, at their consecration, they're not approved. They're not acceptable to serve, but they need to keep washing. So they're, they're continually set apart unto God. So in, in that sense, it shows their need for sanctification. They're, they're to live more and more the holy life to which they have been called and set apart unto. So this continual washing shows me my need for sanctification, shows you the need for sanctification. There, there's still poison in the system, Right? There's indwelling sin that we, we need the cleansing work of the Spirit um, to grow. Think of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7. He says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So we're still sinning even after we've been born of the Spirit. After that, initial washing. So we need this continual washing by the grace of God. I like what one pastor, he summarized it this way. The Lord has given our souls that spiritual water to cleanse us from the guilt of sin initially and from the corruption of sin continually. Guilt initially, corruption continually. That's really good language. Ephesians 5 says that Jesus cleanses us, His church, by the washing of water with the Word. The Spirit working through the Word is that, that means, that gardening, that cultivating of our spiritual life. 
So there, there should emphasize a need for time in God's Word. Um, publicly, privately, don't shortchange yourself of this grace over the summer months. We're washed continually by the gospel that reminds us it is only the blood of Christ that cleanses us. And we're, not, we're not reapplying the sign of the covenant. We're not being baptized over and over again because our one baptism into the body of Christ still speaks. We've, we've confirmed that in our, uh, in our confession earlier. Still telling us who we belong to, whose blood has washed us. As believers, the covenant children of believers, we're continually living out, embracing what that sign shows us. So the, baptism should always bring us back to the gospel. Every time the priest entered the tent or went to offer a sacrifice, he was washing. It was a daily cleansing. We should want this. We should want this daily cleansing. We should want to walk in holiness before the Lord. We should want to pray that prayer of David that we've read in Psalm 51. Hey, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. So our need for continual washing should show us, should move us to confession. Not just Sunday morning, but all the days in between. I'm just thinking of Sunday morning. You know, as priestly people, let's consider how we are, let's consider our own hearts in preparation for worship. Do we cleanse our hearts and our minds you know, in preparation for worship? Or if we're going to serve in other ways? And we can do all things right. We can do all things good in our worship, and yet our hearts may be far from the Lord. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Malachi, he was, he was actually concerned with that very thing, with hearts before the Lord, uh, particularly among the leaders and the people. And there was a strong indictment against the priests and the leaders in Israel. Their hearts were not there. Their hearts were far from the Lord. They were not walking in obedience. They were not shepherding the people faithfully. And so through Malachi, um, he tells of a messenger who will come. And he says, the Lord will come with power, refining, cleansing power. Here's what he says in Malachi chapter 3. But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He's like a refiner's fire and, a, and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So the day was coming when God would purify the sons of Levi. Purify the priesthood. And that day has come with Jesus. Jesus purifies. He makes all of the sacrifices, all of the washings that have come before acceptable to God through the sacrifice of Himself, through the washing of His own blood. He is the perfect and pure high priest who in Himself purifies the sons of Levi. He purifies a holy priesthood of His people. Because of this, it, really, it led the pastor of the Hebrews to write of Jesus what we've read in chapter 10. Since we have a priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Have you been sprinkled clean? Have you been washed 
by the blood of the Lamb. Christian, are you washing in the fullness of forgiveness, the the new identity and life that you have in Christ? Let's give praise to God this morning, every day, for this saving, cleansing grace. Uh, That's ours. Let's pray. Lord God, we do praise You that You and You alone can wash away our sin. That You and You alone can purify the sons of Levi. That You have purified us through Jesus. That we can now offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, offer our very lives in service to You. Lord, thank You. Thank You that You have done what only You could do on our behalf. And as we see this picture, we're grateful for the picture that You've given to us and the sign of the covenant. It shows that we are washed and cleansed through the blood of Jesus. Lord, help us to grow into it that our hearts might follow this day and every day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.